Jeremiah 23, if you're not exactly sure where Jeremiah 23 is, just simply look in the table of contents. You can find a page number for the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament. And then turn to chapter 23. Jeremiah 23, and I'm going to ask Miss Deborah to read to us this morning verses 9 through the end of the chapter. Jeremiah 23, verses 9 through the end of the chapter. Good morning, Garden family. <laughs> okay. My heart is broken within me, all my bones shake. I am like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine because of the Lord and because of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers because of the curse the land mourns and the pastures of the wilderness are dried up. Their course is evil and their might is not. Both prophet and priest are ungodly even in my house. I have found their evil, declares the Lord. Therefore, they will, their way shall be with them like slippery paths in the darkness into which they shall be driven and fall. For I will bring disaster upon them in the year of their punishment, declares the Lord. In the prophets of Samaria, I saw an unsavory thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. But in the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. Therefore, thus says the Lord, host concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with bitter food and give them poisoned water to drink. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has gone out into all the land. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesies to you. Filling with vain hopes, they speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you and to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart. They say, no disaster shall come upon you. For who among them have stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word, or who has paid attention to his word and listened? Behold the storm of the Lord, wrath has gone forth in whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. In the latter days you will understand it clearly. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. I am a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I feel heaven and earth, declares the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have said, who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall they be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesies lie and who prophesies the deceit of their own heart? Who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for a bow? Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord. It is my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from one another. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare, declares the Lord. Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness when I did not send them or change them. So they do not profit these people at all, declares the Lord. 
When one of these people or a prophet or a priest asks you, what is the burden of the Lord? You shall say to them, you are the burden, and I will cast you off, declares the Lord. And as for the prophet, the priest, or one of the people who says the burden of the Lord, I will punish that man and his household. Thus shall you say, everyone in his neighbor and everyone in his brother, what has the Lord answered or what has the Lord spoken but the burden of the Lord? You shall mention no more, for the burden is every man's own word, and you pervert the words of the living God and the Lord of hosts our God. Thus you shall say to the prophet, what has the Lord answered you or what has the Lord spoken? But if you say the burden of the Lord, thus says the Lord, because you have said these words, the burden of the Lord, when I sit to you saying, you shall not stay, the burden of the Lord, therefore behold, I will surely lift you up and cast you away from my presence and you and the city that I gave to you and your fathers, and I will bring you upon the everlasting reproach and perpetual shame which shall not be given. On this theme, phony prophets. Phony prophets. Let's pray. Father, we ask that as we come into Jeremiah 23 today, that you would help us, Lord, that we might hear your word, that we might experience Christ through this gathering, through your word, that you might convict us of our sin and lead us to the cross. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A couple years ago, a friend, an old friend of ours got into some trouble. A woman that we had known, my wife, had, my, my wife and I had known a number of years ago, uh, had gone to medical school and had become a physician's assistant. But the reality was she never graduated from medical school. She had uh, forged some documents. She had falsified some papers. And she got herself a job as a physician's assistant. And she saw and treated 137 infants and children and gave out 400 prescriptions before she was caught. Now, I've heard it said before, don't go to a doctor who has dying plants. There might be some truth in that. But I'm going to say, don't go to a doctor who's not a doctor. A phony doctor. A doctor with no authority. A doctor whose only authority is themselves, that they've claimed to be a doctor. Like I said, I want to speak to you this morning on this theme, phony prophets. The crazy thing is this. In the world that we live in, there are people all over the place who claim spiritual authority. They claim to know something about the spiritual realm. They claim to know something about God, and they are quick to teach you their claims. But the reality is, is they are phony. What they're feeding you is what we might call spiritual junk food. It tastes good, but it doesn't nourish. And this is what's going on here in Israel in verse 1. As Deborah read this morning, he begins this section, in verse 9 rather, he begins this section by saying, concerning the prophets. What we have here in this, in this chapter is a compilation of various teachings that Jeremiah had given about these phony prophets in Israel. And so he's addressing 
these prophets. Now, keep in mind, the prophets weren't like this certain class of people that you could easily distinguish. They didn't wear prophet uniforms. Meaning it would have been actually pretty difficult for the people to determine who was a false prophet, who claimed to be a prophet. As a matter of fact, what we're going to see here is that in some ways everybody has their own word. It's almost as if he's living in this time where everybody's claiming to be a prophet. Everybody's claiming to have an idea about God, an idea about the spiritual realm. Who is it that is talking, representing God? Well, the, the challenge is we, we can't really even pinpoint them. There's voices all over the place. And that's very similar to today, isn't it? We got people all over the place. This could be definitely, of course, a TV preacher who's not preaching the gospel, but it could also be your best friend who's got some ideas for you about God that's based on no authority but their own forged documents. And they are, as a whole, these phony, lowercase p, prophets. Don't get too hung up on the word prophet this morning. I mean that in a broad sense. Anybody who's speaking for God. Look at verse 32. This is where I primarily want to come from today. It says, Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness. When I did not send them or charge them, so they do not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. Oh, this would have been a good title. It just popped in my head. Prophets without profit. I like that. That's my new title for my sermon. I want to speak to you today on prophets who do not profit. <laughs> Jeremiah gives us in this verse a couple different ways that we might spot these phony prophets who do not profit. Number one, their authority is themselves. Their authority is themselves. And number two, their effect is that they lead people away from God. First, let's talk about their authority. Their authority does not come from God. Their authority is in themselves. Now, nobody does this today with, say, science. Like, nobody comes along and says, you know, I feel that the earth is flat. I just feel that. You know, from my experience, um, I look around and it seems flat. And from my experience, the sun kind of comes up over this flat earth and then goes around it. And so I, I feel like from my experience that the earth is flat and that the sun goes around the earth. That's been my experience. That's what I believe. We don't do that, do we? Okay, some people do, but don't throw me off here. <laughs> Generally speaking, that's ridiculous, correct? Generally speaking, we say, no, there are authorities who tell us otherwise. We used to believe that, but there are authorities who say, no, the earth is round. A scientist would come along and say, I don't care about your experience. I don't care about how you feel about the earth and science. I'm going to tell you about what we've, what we've seen, what we've observed. And the, the, the earth is, it seems to be round. And the earth seems to be going around the sun. Or maybe picture somebody going into a doctor's office and the doctor says, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you have cancer. And the person says, you know, I've been noticing that. Um, but I don't call that cancer. I don't really like that word. It sounds negative. I call this my friend. This is, this is like my, my, it's like my little superhero growth. I'm, I'm mutating into something, into, into another kind of being. And it's actually for my good. Don't touch my cancer. Or I mean my friend. <laughs> and the doctor would say, well, I don't care how you feel about it. <laughs> You have cancer. Yet the reality is this. When it comes to the spiritual realm, everybody thinks they're an expert. 
When it comes to the spiritual realm, everybody just says, based on my experience, based on how I feel, this is what I believe to be true. Why? Uh, based on what authority, friend? What authority do you, I mean, when we, you get it when we talk about science, there's got to be some kind of governing authority, some kind of logic. You get it when we talk about medicine, there's got to be some kind of authority, some kind of logic. But why, when we come to the spiritual realm, do we all just kind of have this me and my own ideas approach to spirituality? Well, this is what he's dealing with here. Everybody's coming based on their own authority. Look at verse 32. Let me just remind you what he says. Behold, he says, I'm against those who prophesy lying dreams. These are people who are talking about the dreams that they've had, which we'll talk about in just a minute, but they are lies. Why? It's because they are based on their own authority. They are cooking up their own ideas, if you would. They have ingredients that they have created that have not come from any other authority, ingredients on their own that they're, they're using in this stew that they're putting together for you to eat. And it's all based on lies. Look at verse 16. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophet who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. What they're telling you is vain. It's, it, it's useless. Why? Because it comes, he says, from their own minds. Do you see the authority piece there? It's not from any external authority. It's not from the revealed Word of God from the mouth of the Lord, but rather it's an authority that has come from their own minds. In verse 17, he says, they say continually to those who despise the Word, of the Lord, it shall be well with you. It shall be well with you. These are dreamers. These are people who are passing on messages that haven't come from anywhere. In verse 26, he says they have lies. How long shall there be lies in the hearts of the prophet? Look at verse, verse, uh, look at verse 28. He says, let the prophet who has the dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. He's dealing with this issue of dreams. Now, God, this isn't to say that God uh, uh, has never used a dream to communicate something to his people. I think of Daniel, I think of uh, Nebuchadnezzar. You know, God has communicated to his people through dreams. However, God never communicated his revelation to a prophet through a dream. Meaning, dreams were never seen as revelation from God in the Old Testament. That's to, to distinguish a dream from a vision. He would give visions, and he would speak directly to the prophets. But dreams were seen as too magical for the, for the Jews. They were seen as, as not trustworthy enough. They were seen as too subjective in Jewish literature. And so these people are coming along with dreams, and God is saying, look, let the people who have dreams, go ahead and dream. Do your thing. But he said, the, let the people who have my word, let them speak that faithfully. God is concerned here in this context with the word that he's given Jeremiah to declare. Not the crazy dreams of all the different people. And he's saying, what I want you to focus on, what I want you to hear is my word word that I have spoken through my prophets. In verse 36, we see that the problem here is that every man's own word becomes the message of God. In this final poem there, in verses 33 through the end of the chapter, it's, it's kind of confusing. I don't know if you got confused as Deborah was reading this this morning. But it's, it's confusing simply because that word burden could mean both a burden, meaning a heavy weight that I'm to carry, as well as a message. It's, it's to reference God's message. So he says, for instance, what's the message of the Lord? What's the burden of the Lord? Well, he says, my burden is you guys. You're the heavy weight. It's a poem. He's using the word in two different ways. But then he goes on to say that everybody's burden, meaning everybody's message from the Lord is their own word. 
This is so similar to today when everybody comes along with what you would call individualistic relativism, where everybody comes along with their own idea of what is true, their own idea of what is real, their own idea of who God is. But the question is this, who decides? Who decides what is right and what is wrong? Who decides who God is? Who decides the meaning of life? Who decides the meaning of our relationships with each other, the meaning of marriage, the meaning of your singleness? Who decides the meaning of suffering in the world? Well, what's happening here is the prophets basically just sort of get the wind of of the public. They just sort of pick up the mood of the culture, and they just simply tell the culture what they want to hear. That's really the prophet's job in Jeremiah, the false prophets. It's, to use my cancer analogy, it would be as if a lot of people have cancer and the medical uh, community is getting together and they're saying, well, what should we tell the people? A lot of people have cancer. Nobody wants to have cancer. That's bad news. They're going to throw a chair across the room in my office if I tell them they have cancer. And so let's go with the mood of the culture and let's tell them what they want to hear. You don't have cancer. It's a friend. It's a growth. You're becoming a superhero. That's what phony prophets do. That's what's happening here in Jeremiah. They're cooking up their own ideas, and they're putting together this meal for you. And secondly, this meal doesn't nourish you. This meal doesn't help you. Do you guys remember Ponderosa? Not, not, not from Bonanza, but the restaurant. How many of you remember Ponderosa? I wondered, honestly, I wondered if it was just like an Akron, Ohio thing. But evidently they were here and elsewhere. I used to love Ponderosa as a kid. And then as I got older, I actually realized this is just a lot of subpar food. (laughs) As a kid, it's amazing because you can pick and choose whatever you want. But as you get older, you realize, like, these are just kind of like meatballs that aren't that good, right? Now, I'm not getting on to all buffets. There's some buffets that I'm a big fan of. Just getting on to Ponderosa. This sort of pick-and-choose culture that we live in is a lot like a really bad buffet, where you don't have a lot of good options, but you have a lot of options, where there's been all these ideas that have been cooked up. It's not a good meal. It's not a nourishing meal. It's not a healthy meal. It's nothing like something that that some some of you guys can whip up, which I've tasted. But this is just bad food. As a matter of fact, even worse than a bad buffet, this is like poisonous. And so we're living in this culture today where we have this kind of pick and choose whatever I want for me kind of spirituality. So I want a little bit of the Bible, and I want a little bit of the streets, and I want a little bit of philosophy, and I want a little bit of that YouTube video over there, and what else do I want? Mm, I want a little bit of what that guy said over there, and I want whatever Joel says. I'm going to take some of that too. No, I don't like that, putting that back. (laughs) It doesn't nourish us. This, it's, it's this sort of buffet approach to our spirituality that, that does nothing for us that's happening here thousands of years ago. Everybody's coming along as their own spiritual authority, rejecting the one authority who can whip up a good meal that is nourishing, and that is God himself. Look at verse... 32, or verse 28, rather. As he goes on in the second half of verse 28, he says, What has straw in common with wheat? What has straw in common with wheat? What's he saying there? Well, have you ever heard of cream of straw? Or I'm going to go to the store and pick up some really good, healthy straw bread. 
what has straw anything to do with wheat? Now, of course, he's saying the prophet's dreams, these phony prophets, the messages they give you are like straw versus the wheat of God's word. What is God's word? It's like, he goes on, it's like a hammer. It's like fire that consumes you. It's powerful. The reality is that the messages that phony prophets give, this pick-and-choose kind of approach to spirituality, it's all based on our own authority, doesn't nourish you. It tastes good. It always tastes good at first. They put a lot of sugar in it. And they put a lot of white flour in it. And sugar and white flour mixed together? Yes. You just got a pie crust. I think you got something good, but it's not nourishing. It doesn't help you long term. It doesn't get you through your suffering. It doesn't get you through the bottom that life is going to bring you to. It feels good. It confirms us as we want to be confirmed in the moment but it's not nourishing. And so as we look at 32, we see, we see here they are prophesying lying dreams. They're leading people astray. Their effect, their effect is that they lead people from God. Instead of nourishing people with God's Word, leading them to the fullness of who God is, they are actually leading people away from God. On December 4, 1972, a car stopped right by a seven-year-old named Stephen, and the driver of the car said, your mom told me to take you home, to pick you up, to bring you home early to get you home quickly. Can you get in the car? And the seven-year-old got in the car. Little did he know he was a kidnapper. He would spend years with this man, destroying his life. This is what phony prophets do for God's sheep. They open the door and they say, hey, uh, I'm, I'm, I've got a message for you from God. It's based on their own authority, but they're going to tell you it's from God. I know something about the spiritual realm. Get into my car and let me drive you. Let me take you to God. But the reality is these phony prophets take you away from God. They lead you away from the life-saving, joy-giving truth of who God actually is. As he goes on in verse 32... He says, they, uh, they tell them and they, they lead my people astray by their lies and by their recklessness. They're leading my people astray. And then he goes on, he says, when I did not send them, I did not charge them. They don't have my authority. They're not from me, but they're claiming to be from me. They're claiming to be a spokesperson for me. And they're leading people to hell. They're not of God. In verses 18 through 22, he explains they're not of God. They're not from him. They never sat in the presence of God. In verse 18, he asks the question, who has been in the council of God? Have they ever been in God's council? Have they ever sat under the council of the Lord? In verse 22, he answers and he says, certainly they have not. Because if they had been in my council, they would have communicated my word. But instead, they've turned away themselves to their wicked ways. Their lack of communicating God's word and their own wickedness is a sign that they have never been in the counsel of God. Therefore, they are not commissioned by God. As God himself says, I did not send them. They have then, therefore, no word from God. I mentioned this poem to you in verse 33 through the end of the chapter in which he's dealing with the fact that they claim to have a message from God, and God is saying, don't say that you have a message from me. 
If there's anything I want you to do, I want you to ask Jeremiah, what did God say? What are we supposed to believe? Go to the word, he's saying. Don't claim to have a message. I ban that from your lips. And he says the problem is, in verse 36, is that they are perverting my word. In, not, uh, in, in being people who are not authorized to, to speak on behalf of God, on having no authority to stand on, meaning the word of God, what they're doing is they're perverting God's word. Now, this, let's just be clear for a second. Let me just stop here for a quick moment. You guys are very familiar with the word pervert, right? <laughs> you know how we typically use the word pervert. Well, what we mean by that is someone's taking a good gift of sex and they're, they're changing it. They're using it for, in really weird, strange ways for their own selfish purposes, and it's damaging, right? Well, that's the same meaning when we apply that to someone who perverts Scripture or God's Word. They're taking God's Word, and they're turning it, and they're twisting it in such a way that is unhelpful, selfish, and damaging. Now, check this out. Listen. My biggest concern is not the atheist who comes along and completely rejects the faith and says, I want you to believe in X, Y, or Z. My concern primarily are for people who claim to be spiritual, claim to be maybe even Christian. They claim to have the Word of God. And listen, they share enough about the Word of God to fool you, to make you believe that they are actually speaking to you from the Word of God. They will have a, a Bible on their pulpit when they preach. They'll talk about how I'm going to come from the Word today. And if you've ever heard them preach, they take one verse, that's where they come from, and then they go somewhere completely in another realm. They end up on Mars when they started here in Jeremiah. <laughs> what are they doing? They're, they're twisting the Word of God. And it should concern us and break our hearts today as much as it breaks Jeremiah's heart in these verses. And at the core, here's their message. This is what they say. What they say is God endorses your sin. Let me explain what I mean by that. What they say is God endorses your sin. Look at verse 13 and 14. We see this escalating sort of condemnation, if you would. In verse 13, he says, In the prophets of Samaria, I saw an unsavory thing. And then in verse 14, he says, But in the prophets of Jerusalem, I saw a horrible thing. There's this escalating nature to his condemnation. Well, what's going on here? The prophets of Samaria, they are prophesying by Baal. They're, they're using other authorities. They're not just saying the Word of God is sufficient, but we need additional authorities. Be that Google, be that you know, other books, be that reason or tradition. We need other authorities, not God alone. But what's going on with verse 14, with the prophets of Jerusalem, as this condemnation escalates, is he says they strengthen the hands of evildoers. They strengthen the hands of evildoers. What he's saying is, is he, he, these, these spokespeople for God are making the wicked stronger. These people who represent God, instead of speaking in such a way that would convict sinners of their sin, they're actually encouraging people in their sin. They're actually saying to these people that God endorses your sin. So look at verse 17. He says, they say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And everybody who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. No disaster shall come upon you. They're like, they're telling people, you're okay. You despise God's word. You don't, you don't read the Bible and find this beautiful. You don't find every doctrine in here to be delightful. 
And what these prophets do is they come along and they say, that's okay. God's okay with you. It's a God's got me kind of religion. Meaning like I can go out on the streets and do whatever I want to do. God's got me. I can live however I want to live, and there is somebody that will tell you that that's okay. You know how in the New Testament it says they're going to find some preachers that tickle their ears? Well, that's the reality for 2,000 years. Like if you have a pet sin in your life that you like or, or uh, uh, some sin that we want to uh, sort of figure out how God uh, endorses it, he's okay with it, there, I guarantee you, there is a phony prophet out there who will help you out. They're making sinners stronger in their sin. They're endorsing things that God has never endorsed. The point of Jeremiah on these phony prophets is that they manipulate people with their words in such a way that they lead people away from God. Today, there are a lot of voices. There are a lot of these, quote-unquote, phony prophets. They could be a TV preacher. They could be your best friend. People who talk about human life being lived in various ways that God has not designed us. Actions that are endorsed that the Bible condemns. People who are living in in just obscene luxury while so much of the world suffers in poverty. Consumerism that is rampant. Finding our identity in what we can buy and put on and own and drive. Believing that the individual, me, having power power over people to manipulate others, maybe to do violence to others, is something that should be sought after. Greed, at the very core of our hearts, coveting. What phony prophets do is they lick their finger, they stick it up in the air, they find which way the wind's blowing, and they speak in that direction. They, they say, look, if, if this is what you want, let me tell you how God endorses it. And they, they pervert God's word. While we're on this, let me just give you three different main categories that I, that I, this is just subjective, I, not the Lord, say. Three categories, actually that's not what Paul meant by that, by the way. That was just a theological misstep. It was not subjective when Paul said that. Are you guys tracking with me? That's not what he was getting at? All right, good. <laughs> Three main categories that I find these uh, phony prophets in. Number one. Prosperity gospel Christianity. You could put uh, asterisks Christianity, or asterisks around Christianity for all of these. Prosperity gospel Christianity. The claim is that if you have faith, that God will give you an abundance of material goods. Now, this is not to say that, you know, Proverbs, Proverbs is clear, like if you follow God and godliness and obedience, you're generally going to do better in life, Right? But that's not what the prosperity gospel actually says. The prosperity gospel says you can kind of sit on your hands and have faith, and you just wait. And actually, you better get those hands out and put them like this, because the blessings are coming, right? But it don't matter what what you're actually doing with your life, as long as you have faith. Like the prosperity gospel tells you how, this is how you can kind of access God's power through going through these different things, through having this amount of faith, through doing these good deeds, you can sort of access God's power and he will make your life better and you will have as a result more prosperity and less suffering than if you did not 
have faith. Now, the issue is simply this. What you thought was sinful, a.k.a. greed, a.k.a. Uh, getting things that you didn't work for, a.k.a. Uh, uh, finding your hope and your comfort in material things, what you thought was sinful, what they're telling you is that's not actually sinful. You can live in luxury. You can do whatever you want to do. Now, the fallout is this. I, I experienced the fallout this past week. I was lecturing somewhere, and, and there was this Q&A, and this one woman asked this question. She said, what do I do about this friend of mine who was a Christian, she's gone through a lot of hard times, and she now ha- is rejecting the faith, and what she said to me is, Christianity hasn't done anything for me. Like, I've tried that, and it hasn't worked for me. And I said, well, the reality is, is she never understood what Christianity is. You need to, like, deprogram her theology. (laughs) That's the fallout of the prosperity gospel. I thought getting into this would mean money, jobs, no sickness, success, no suffering, popularity, prestige, and for whatever reason in God's providence, it's all been reversed. I got sick, I lost people, my husband left me, I lost my job, you name it. Therefore, Christianity's not true. The problem is they never knew Christianity. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ calls us to come and die. To, to, to pick up our cross and follow him. And I'll, I'll just say this. We are just now, I believe, seeing the beginning of the fallout from the prosperity gospel. We're just now seeing the fallout. And I would assume we'll see a lot more of it. Secondly, God and country Christianity. God and country Christianity. This is the claim that the Bible is the law book and the United States is God's special country. Well, it's another way of saying what you thought was sinful was not actually sinful. Meaning nationalism is actually sinful. Pride. Distancing oneself from other beings created in God's image for our own prosperity and for our own safety. Also, the belief that our hope is found in the strength of our military. Well, that's sinful. Our hope is not in the strength of the military. I'm not anti-military, don't get me wrong. But that's not our hope. That's not God's hope. And God's hope isn't and never was the United States of America. Now, the fallout is distancing ourselves from anybody who's not part of us, who doesn't look like us, who hasn't come from us. Thirdly, what we might call progressive Christianity. Progressive Christianity. Well, this would be the claim that the Bible is outdated, but still helpful. Just don't take it too seriously. Don't take it at face value, but rather determine where culture's going and go that direction, and and we'll show you how we can fit the Bible to fit culture. Now, the issue, again, is what you previously thought was sinful, God actually endorses. Meaning, within this uh, stream, you're going to find all sorts of ways to condone whatever you want to condone. It's a, whole, it's a whole approach as to how we read the Bible that allows the Bible to be malleable, to kind of fit our own desires. Now, the problem is this, is if we are outright, in this case, endorsing sin that God hasn't endorsed, what are we actually doing? We're not actually loving that person, are we? What are we actually doing? Like, if Montrell is a, a thief... He's stealing constantly, all right? And so, and, and, and we, we, we talk about it, and Montrell's just like, you know, like, I just, I don't have, have the money to buy this Snickers bar, and I just wanted it, and, and I'm like, well, here's a dollar, and it's like, no, I actually prefer to steal it. And, you know, let's just say Montrell's a thief. 
He's not, by the way, all right? I don't want you guys to, like, vote him out as an elder. Um, but let's just say he is for the sake of my analogy. And I come along, and I, can, and I show him in the Scriptures how, well, you see where it says thief there? That's actually referring to a, a certain kind of theft that doesn't really apply to today. That applied in, in that day. It had to do with uh, uh, stealing something that, uh, uh, yeah, you got it. And, um, and, and, and it's okay to take things in this world for various reasons. Maybe because you're a citizen, you pay your taxes. Maybe because, uh, uh, um, you know, people, these, these store owners are greedy, and so we're kind of like Robin Hoods, and we're going to take whatever it might be. Have I just loved Montreal? No, I haven't. Why? What, what's, what's going on? What's happening is this, is when I say that God endorses something that God doesn't endorse, it actually prevents him from repenting of his sin. And it keeps us, therefore, from being recipients of God's grace and forgiveness. Listen, let's just close with this. Some people think that the Bible is bitter. Some people read the Bible and they come across some things in there and they're like, that's hard. I don't like that. That's bitter to me. I, I distance myself from what Christians have believed about God's word because I don't like it and I like what other people are saying. I like what, you know, what I'm calling to be phony prophets, I know that's negative. I don't mean to be disrespectful to anybody who's actually claiming these things. But what I'm, but what I'm saying is it's so, it's so easy to say what other people are telling me sounds so much sweeter. And it tastes so much better. And this seems so hard. Listen, I used to not like avocados. I'm going somewhere with this, all right? Like in Akron, we just don't grow up eating avocados. I don't even know if they sell them in Akron. They probably do now, but not in the 80s and 90s. And um, so I get married to a wife from South Florida who eats a lot of avocados. So for years, she would buy these crazy-looking little things. They cut them open, they're green and mushy. And she would often say, like, hey, do you want some avocado? <laughs> nope, don't li- I don't like avocado. I don't like it. Ugh. Nope, I don't like avocado. Guacamole, what's that? Mushed up avocado? I don't like that. Um, and then one day, she uh, made me eggs, and she sliced up some avocado, and she put some avocado on top of the eggs. It's really weird. And, uh, and so I ate my eggs, and I actually ate the avocado, and I was like, hmm, what is this? <laughs> what is this? Like, my, my wasn't thinking straight. And my wife says, that's avocado. Really? but I don't like avocado, but I like this. Listen, the Bible is always sweet. If you don't think it is, you've just never really tasted it. The Bible is always delightful. And if you believe that the Bible is bitter, it means that you've never tasted it. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And those who have tasted it knows. It's it's not to say that it's not hard. It's not to say that there aren't things in here that really conflict with what I feel to be true, or what my natural desires, but the reality, friends, is I have tasted and I have seen that it is good, and I can tell you, testimonially speaking, the Bible is sweet. The Word of God is nourishing. The Word of God is is good. It defines us. It tells us that we are people created in God's image. It diagnoses our real problem, and that's that we have rebelled against God. It provides for us. 
a Savior in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins and made a way possible for redemption. It displays for us what God requires, what His law is, what His world ought to look like. And it shows us that God's way is coming. And it invites us to be part of God's story. Have you tasted and have you seen that God's word is good, is sweet, is tasty, or is, as I like to say, a word that Montrell finds funny, flavorful. It's flavorful, isn't it? Amen, Montrell? It is flavorful. In contrast to these meals that do not satisfy, Jesus sat with his disciples and he says, this is my body, take and eat. The fullness of revelation is in Jesus Christ. He is the prophet. And we as Christians, we are a people who feast off of him. All that he is, all that God has communicated to us through his word about him, we feast all of that, we, off of that, we feed off of that, and it is indeed nourishing. Do you know Jesus Christ? Have you tasted and seen that he is good? Listen, I have been to the bottom of despair in my life. Just because I'm up here preaching Sunday after Sunday, don't think I've never been discouraged in my life. I have been to the bottom of despair in my life, and at the bottom, I'm telling you, nothing has nourished me like Jesus. It's amazing. It's amazing how we listen to all of these other phony messages. We listen to all of these other things. When, think, when we're feeling good, when we're at the top, when we feel like we've got something, we're dabbling in all kinds of potlucks and all kinds of buffets. But so often, for those of us who are believers, we can say that when we lost it all, when everything was taken away from and we were at the bottom, what we discovered there was that nothing nourishes us like Jesus. Nothing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to be in your word, to be reminded that Jesus Christ is our nourishment, that all of the other messages that the world gives us tries to sell us messages that seem sweet and tasty. God, I pray that we would be able to diagnose these things as false, as phony, and that we would not dabble in all of these different ideas, but that we would be founded on your authority that you have communicated to us through your word, through Jesus Christ, who died and was buried and rose again from the dead, confirming all of this to be true. God, we thank you for Christ and our place in him this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said...